everybody out there in internet land. How's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know this show. You subscribe. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and do my best to unpack actionable and valuable insights with the goals of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. And I think that's a worthy goal. My guest today is Katarina Fake. You guys should know who Katarina is. If you don't, you're about to expand your mind. Katarina invented Flickr. So if you like photos and you like the internet, you're going to love this podcast because we talk about those early days of, let's just call it sort of internet one and a half point oh, leaning into 2.0. The idea of cataloging photographs, of storing them on the internet, of sharing them with friends, of commenting, all of that was very, very early and it was founded and the foundation of that on the internet was Flickr. So she ultimately sold that for a very nice chunk of change to Yahoo. You can hear about that story. On the way to that, she's also done so many things. She was you know, a graphic designer. She wrote some novels. And uh, I think she was originally in banking. It's, it's all over the map. And that's one of the things that I love about this particular conversation is that we explore that now more than ever, that non-straight line, that non-linear path, that is the future. So if you've ever felt like, oh man, I'm a little bit lost or I don't know exactly what I want to do or I'm trying to figure it out despite having this checkered past, either educationally, professionally or whatever, this episode will remind you that it's all okay. It's going to be great. Katarina is the living example of it. I, I myself uh, have, you know, been wildly all over the map from a career toward professional soccer to medical school to a PhD in philosophy to drop it out of so many things to find my passion. So we connect deeply on that. And I know that section of this talk is going to resonate with you. She's also, she's got some really great advice about writing. I did not expect that, um, but specifically around how to create the habits that are going to get you in this groove of daily productivity, uh, productivity, not just through writing, but writing as a, a catapult to other sorts of productivity in your life. And then she, there's this other thing we talk about being a reclusive extrovert. So we, we talk about being an introvert or an extrovert and how are you and how may or may not that affect what you do on a daily basis. I love this episode. I know you will too. But with that, we got to get into the show. And before we do, I want to get a little word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world more than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform so you know that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind creative live but here's the why which i think is so critical 
Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a, a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and the design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, now let's get into the show. Thank you so much for being here. I haven't, I haven't even talked in like, um, I don't know, like six or 12 months. Six or 12 months? How that are you? That sounds about right. I'm doing really well, doing really well. I'm so grateful. I mean, first of all, I think of you as my friend Katerina, used to be on the board of Creative Live, and I'm and in preparation for the show, I'm like reading about you, I didn't had no idea this time 100 most influential people in the world? <laughs> how, does that, how does that happen? When I got that invitation to that event, I, I, it knocked me over. It knocked me over. It was an amazing thing. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, did, I had no idea. Who, who else was at the party, speaking of so parties? That is, that was, the over a, name drop but Just a name drop. Just a name drop. <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, I was at this party, and I am wandering around, and I am sitting at a table with Condoleezza Rice and Rachel Ray and... <laughs> The guy who, I forget his name, wrote The Office, and I, I mean, it was like sports stars. And I, it was just unbelievable. And the mix oh, of people was just amazing. Amazing, well, amazing. Um, you know, instead of going down, that's, a, I think, a really interesting path for how you would end up there. Instead of going on the name dropper side, which I invited that, but let's talk, <laughs> let's, because that's, I, again, you're A, I think of you as a, creator, as a designer, as a builder of companies, yes. and the fact that you're sort of pursuing your passion and then you can end up as one of the most influential people on the planet, according to a very reliable source. How, do, how does that happen? Like, what, what's the path well, there? It's That's not the really, that... yeah, it's funny because you, you hear that all the time. You know, do the thing that you care about, and it doesn't seem like it's actually true until then you find yourself, you know, at these things. And so um, it really... It really takes a certain kind of um, um, conviction, I think, in what you are, who you are, yeah. what you care about, what you're going to pursue, and the confidence to, through decades even, yeah. decades even, of nobody caring, 
nobody noticing you, nobody, nobody, you know, really being behind you. Yeah. You're not showing any of the signs of success along the way. In fact, if you if you looked at my high school graduating class, I would not be the one. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be the one that you would have picked out as being, you know, on the cover of Newsweek. Like I'm just that just wasn't wasn't looking that way. But the thing that the thing that I had. Um, I think that kind of carried me through all of that was a very strong inner conviction that I knew who I was, I knew who I, what I wanted. I didn't care about external uh, rewards, the kinds of things that I, I never, I never um, chased got money or fame, chased or money or fame, or you know, um, you know. Uh, you know, even good grades in school. It was not something I was trying. So like, I was one of the, I was one of the kids like, you know, I knew I was smart, but I didn't care about the grades because I didn't, I didn't, I, I kind of knew that they weren't really saying very much yeah, about me. Yeah, a measure me. of worth or a measure of aptitude. Yeah, and or, so, yeah. and so, you know, I was, you know, I don't even know where I was, like middle of my class. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ish, somewhere. Yeah. Ish, and, um, you know, and yet I had all these side projects. I had all these things I was very passionate about. I worked on the side. Um, I really cared about. I really cared about. Um, you know these. You know these. I mean, it was making, undefinable. Yeah. Making things, creativity, self-expression. I I was a writer. I was a painter. I was a photographer. I did all of these creative activities, not knowing where they were going to lead me. I Not think that's, that's so refreshing. You know, I, I have talked throughout this series and at the through the five-year history of the show about sort of two groups of people: a group of people who that identify as creative, and so like, and, all right, I know I've got my start here, and I, I need to get better. So those are the group that I call from going from one to ten, like getting better at your craft and figuring out who you are and what you want to do. And there's also the group from zero to one, and that's the group that is doing something else, something that the world has prescribed for them rather than the thing that they were supposed to be doing in life or that their, their next calling. And in both groups, what I find uh, a commonality, having talked to a lot of really successful people like yourself and interacting with my community of, uh, of people on Creative Live and people who are aspiring, that you, you think that there is some sort of a, a prescription that you have to do this and this and this. And one of the things that's exciting to me is that today there's, there is no path or there's rather a thousand paths to any end. So what I'd like to do now is explore a little bit. You talked about finding your way in school and maybe not being one of the best students. Um, but can we go back and, and like pull on the thread of what, what we, what like a, a sequence of steps that you went through? And how you ended up at this, say that this time, 100 most influential people. Just we'll use that thread. <laughs> how so, did you get like, there? yeah. And and the goal of this story, I guess, is to underpin that there are a million paths and that there isn't one prescription other than follow your heart. So, let's talk about early creation for you. You talked about being a photographer, a painter, a designer. But let's go into career trajectory. Like, what are some of the things that you did? Were you a designer, a dancer? Like, what was your what were your What's their trajectory? So when I graduated from college, I had a degree in English literature, and it was not a sequential career sure. uh, path. I, I took time off. I took my sophomore year off to write a book. I was writing a novel. 
Um, then I switched schools. I went to art school in New York at Parsons. I didn't like art school. I left art school. I ended up graduating from Vassar, but I, I kind of took a winding path. It wasn't a straight path at all through college. And then when I graduated, I had so many odd jobs. I was a, I was, for example, I was a clerk at a dive shop in Arkansas. And in then Arkansas? In Arkansas? Is there water in Arkansas? It is a, it is a, it is a <laughs> landlocked state, indeed. But there is, <laughs> but there's the the White River was dammed, sure. and so there's a there's big lakes there, so you can go spearfishing, and so there's diving yeah. there. Um, I worked at a law firm. I worked. I had odd jobs. I was all odd jobs. But what all, what I was working for was that I would. Um, I would work really intensely for a short period of time, and then I would strap on a backpack and head off to, say, South America or somewhere, and then backpack around for six months. And then I'd come back and I'd work. And my parents were being driven up the wall by this. Here I am, like 22 years old. They just paid for all of my <laughs> college education. What is all that for if all you're going to do is like be a backpack. bum and Walk backpack <laughs> and wander the earth? And so, um, and so that's that's where I that's what I was doing, and I was actually on my way to um, Nepal, where I was going to go rock climbing, and um, stopped off to visit my sister who lived in San Francisco. I'm from the East Coast. Got it. And so my sister lives here in San Francisco, and I was visiting her, and she um, she was very tolerant. My trip kept on getting delayed, and then delayed, and then finally canceled. And she let me camp out. San Francisco was cheap enough to have a spare bedroom in those days. So I camped out in my sister's spare bedroom and just hung out in San Francisco. And so then about six months later, my sister's a sweetheart. Wow. Six, six months, months later, of she couch says, serving. hey, you know, have you ever thought of, have you ever thought of maybe getting a job? <laughs> so I said, what am I equipped to do? Not much, right? I have this kind of like very patchy resume, all those kinds of things. But the most interesting thing that was going on at the time, this was 1994, and I, at the at the at the end of 1993, I had been doing a temp job at Columbia University. I saw this thing, the Mosaic Browser, and um, I knew that the most interesting thing going on in San Francisco was technology. And so I started doing CD-ROM design, which is the I kind of figured I could parlay my artistic aesthetic skills into some kind of graphic design thing. And um, not knowing anything about it, never studied graphic design and knew nothing about it. Um, but I kind of felt like, oh, I have good instincts in this regard. I can, yeah. I can, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. And so I started doing these sort of CD-ROMs, designing them in Director, and, um, and then got a job at one of the very first web design agencies. It was one of those interviews where Nobody knew how to write HTML in those days. So, they, so, I, so I came in and um, they said, can you write HTML? And I was like, yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Great, you're hired. And so of panicking over the weekend, I was like, okay, I start this job on Monday. I need to learn how to write HTML by Monday. So <laughs> I didn't even have a computer. So I, so I get down to my sister's office down in you know Menlo Park, and I was like just on her computer teaching myself HTML over the weekend. By the time I showed up Monday, I kind of knew what I was doing. You could fudge your way through <laughs> it. And then there was a couple of days of training, and you stayed up all night. So it was out. like that. But you know, I, I, I kind of had the sense that, <clears throat> um, you know, I don't know it now, but I'll know it soon. Yeah. And you know, this sort of sense of being able to teach yourself. 
and it's like kind of just yeah. autodidacticism, like being able to to learn on your own. And if you can learn anything on your own, which you can these days, I mean, yeah. look here we are. Yep. Here we are. And um, I'm a huge believer in that. If you're passionate about something and you want to learn it, you can. You so will. True. And so true. it's it's a um, it's a it's a thing that kind of baffles me, because to like to, just to skip ahead. I worked as a designer for a few years, and then I, I had, um, I don't know if anybody remembers this anymore, but in 2000, 2001, there was like a tech crash. Yeah. It was like the, there was a tech boom, and then there was a tech bust. The dot and com bomb. The dot com bomb, like the t and and things and things had had started looking pretty dire. They weren't, you know. So I said, you know, I want to go back to my roots as a creative person and start a different business, non-internet business. So I went and I um, took a, I found myself an internship. Basically, I just I said I want to make handbags. I decided I was not able to make clothes, but I wanted to work with materials and do creative yeah. things like that. So I, but I knew nothing about it. I had never even worked retail. Like I'd ever, I knew nothing about this business. So you're just following your instincts, like handbags and the next handbags, thing. Handbags, right. So I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make hundreds here. We're gonna make, so we're going to make handbags. And I um, called around to everyone in town, left messages, every clothing company that I could find in the phone book. And one person called me back. And I said, I will work for you for free, three days a week, <clears throat> for two months if I can just attend all of your meetings and spend one hour a week asking questions. So totally did this, like tried to figure it out on my own. So by the end of two months, I kind of knew how to source fabrics, how to, you know, organize a, you know, a sales pitch to Bloomingdale's, how to, you know, where like where the sewing comes from, how to manage a staff, retail, all these things. And wow. just from just from those two months, and I just asked questions, I went to all the meetings, I just like watched. And of course, all the shop girls were like kicking me around, and I was like steaming the clothes. And I, it was like not a glamorous job by any stretch of the yeah. imagination, but I learned so much. And then I get out of there, and it's so funny because like I had all these friends who were fashion designers, and they were calling me and asking me questions. And I said, "Wait a second, <laughs> <laughs> this is all available. You just have to have the initiative and go yeah. out and you know, go out and figure out who knows what you need to learn and go find and them, go and then offer them. something to yeah. them." Right, that's because it's the, the key right there. Because yeah. the people who are who know the stuff are very busy, and what they need is help and something that they're either not good at or don't have a time for or whatever. And being of service, I think, is a really key way to get in the door. Exactly, exactly. So handbags, and then go to the internet for me. So, so that so that never panned out because what ended up happening is we um, while I was doing this, we kind of accidentally started this other company, which eventually became Flickr. So I never, I never got to make my handbag company. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. Make, make hundreds. Still so time. let's go to early Flickr. Um, very, you know, I don't claim many things, but I, I was really a part of the early, early community. Did the first iPhone app that shared photos to social networks, and that ended up being a pretty big paradigm. But one of the things that I looked at in order to do that was Flickr. It was a big inspiration to me. Mm -hmm. um, how, talk to me about, you know, conceptually, the idea of photos and cataloging them, and most importantly, I think, building community. Well, that's where I came from. My approach to the whole company was really from the community standpoint. When I got on the internet when I was a teenager, the whole thing was about connecting to other people. I was this lonely, kind of suburban, creative 
uh, person in a town full of football players and cheerleaders. And I was just the artsy girl. And um, I felt like I hadn't found my people. And the internet was this amazing way of connecting to people, finding people that like the same things that you did. And so I, I went on the internet with just this sense of um, people, community, connection. That was what it was all about. And in the early part of my career, I worked in, um, I worked on The Well, one of the very original online communities. I worked at Netscape's first online communities. I built a lot of these communities, Electric Minds, which was spun out of The Well. Community was my thing. That was the thing that I really cared about. And then blogging happened, and I became a really early blogger, and that community was very yes. rich and yeah. you know supportive and you know really amazing people um, speaking in their own voice. I mean, it was a magical thing to, to see all of yeah. that, to see all of that as it was happening. So the um, the evolution into Flickr probably came out of all of that all of that love of community and connecting people. And what better way to share your experience, easy easy for those of those people who are not comfortable like with pros, mm -hmm. um, than sharing photographs. We felt very strongly that this was a way that people could share their lives and communicate with one another and connect to each other using photography. So powerful. Um, and the fact that, that there were, that photography really wasn't a thing. I mean, it was a thing, but that's, you know, my earlier career was about helping people understand photography because I looked at it as a black box. I wanted to figure it out. I did the same as you, banging all the doors. How did I, like, I, want, I want to end this thing. This is really interesting. Yeah. And, and once you're in there, you're like, wow, it's not that complicated. And if I could start telling stories about it, what it was like to be here, what, what angle did you guys come at it from? The community part, for sure. Photography is about, was it, was it storytelling and shared experience? Well, what was happening, like so many things were going on at that time on the internet. Yeah. There were, were a bunch of things. So for example, um, more than half of American households in 2003, when we started it, had uh, broadband. So that meant that they weren't on dial-up. Yeah. You know, if you remember dial-up, but that was like drinking marmalade through a straw. Like you just could, like it was just yeah. no, there was no action. Like you just like wait for the, you could actually see the photograph. Downloading, downloading. like line at a time. Line yeah. at a time. So it was, it was really slow. So half of the U.S. households on broadband, huge thing. Another thing that happened around the same time is that more than half of the uh, cell phones were shipping with a camera. That was huge. Big deal. So big deal because everybody suddenly had access to photography and digital photography. You remember the days when a digital camera oh. was wildly expensive. Yes. It cost thousands of dollars. You know, we had one at the web design agency where I worked in my early days, and it was this precious objects, and it was like kept locked in this like file cabinet, and you had to like <laughs> sign it out, and you know, it was like this really yeah. precious and rare thing. Now they're on all the phones. So those kinds of things happen. And also, a few things also socially had changed in that Friendster, if you remember Friendster, had Gosh. become incredibly popular and people got accustomed to making profiles of themselves online. And this was a novelty. Identity, yeah. Online so identity. like on, online identity, having a, a picture of yourself online was no longer a weird thing. Um, writing about yourself was no longer kind of odd. It was accepted. People understood what it was. And so all of these things converged at the same time and Flickr was, just, just hit it just right. <laughs> So just right. You know, and the tools were getting cheaper, digital cameras were accessible to other people, um, you know, that didn't have all the expense of film, mm -hmm. you know, which was like an incredibly expensive thing to like, you know, buy the film, have yeah. it developed, you know, it was just, it was, it was much more complex. So 
fast forward a few years, Flickr grows wildly successful. Yeah. You sell it to Yahoo. Yep. And do then you just peace out? You're like, I'm done, or like, <laughs> so while I was at while I was at Yahoo. Um, it's so funny when you're an entrepreneur, you work like crazy hours, and I was used to working. That's with these dark circles on crazy. My eyes. I see. Yes. <laughs> working hard. When you're an entrepreneur, you work hard, and um, after being acquired by Yahoo, I was kind of amazed. I suddenly found myself in the situation where people were like going home at five o'clock. So um, I got an email from this guy, Rob, Rob Kalin, who said, I started this new site. It's a marketplace for handmade goods, and we'd love you to have a look at it. We really love Flickr and all of those kinds of things. Um, and would you put together a treasury, which was basically like an album of all of your favorite things on Etsy? And I was like, sure. So I looked at it, and I loved the site. And yeah. so um, ended up being, um, you know, the, the first member of the board of directors, helped them raise their first big round, um, and it was clearly a company. I mean, it, Rob, the founder, um, was one of those guys that you meet him, and he says, he's this 23-year-old guy, he's like covered in cat hair, and like in this like dingy <laughs> apartment in Brooklyn, and he sits there on the sofa, and he says, yeah, this is gonna be as big as eBay, right, and you believe him, right? There's some people, when you, when you wow. meet them, yeah. <laughs> you okay, say man. like, is he the guy? Yeah, he's the guy. He can do it. I can. I somehow, <laughs> I feel that you can do that. So um, anyway, so Etsy was him, his two classmates from NYU, um, brought on another couple people. I mean, it was just like five five people. Like it was three, and then it was five, and then it was twenty, and then you know, next thing you know, like eight years later, it, it went public and has been. A, it's a wonderful company, and the thing that drew me to it is that the thing that I've always liked, and the, the, the thread that connects uh, Flickr and um, Etsy, Kickstarter, which I'm also an investor in, um, Sundance, which yeah. I'm, I'm on the board of, the thing that connects all of these different um, businesses um, or nonprofits is that they're a platform for getting people's work out there, for them to be able to find their own vision or voice or story and tell it. And all of them, Flickr with photography and Etsy with handmade products and Kickstarter with whatever you want to make. Expression, and yeah. It's just all, like th there's this very um, strong thread that is part of that conviction that I had yeah. when I was sitting in my basement coloring and writing and doing photography and just making stuff. So I, know, I just wanted to make stuff. I love that thread. I want to go back now because you've you've said many things that are. It's very clear to me that you were self-aware, and that you you knew you, you had some confidence that the things that you were do that you were doing or would do were intrinsically valuable. When I talk to the creative community, that that's a thing. I, I feel like I have that. It was uh, instinctive for me, but I think for a lot of the folks out there, it's not. So let's pretend. Like, I don't want to go. You, Give, get too preachy, but any advice for the folks that like the intuition has been such a strong piece for so many people that have sat on, on the couch that you're yeah, sitting in right now. Yeah. Can you talk to me about that for a little bit? Well, there's so many things that are designed to train you out of it. Yeah. Right? You know, you know, teachers do not like creative children. I just put a blog post up. I have a new blog at thecreativehours.com, which Ooh. is big, which is, you should check it out. Because it's like, it's, a, it's completely hours. your, 
your topic, the creative hours. And one of the articles that I had read recently, which I wrote about on the blog, was that teachers give a lot of lip service to loving creativity. They love it. They're like, they love creativity. They really want to encourage it in, in, their, in their students, all that kind of stuff. But when you survey them and say, who are your best students? It's always the one who cross the T's and dot the I's. If you look at a personality profile of creative people, they're usually kind of restless. They're a little bit unsettled. They're, they question things. They're, you know, they're, you know, even if they're not questioning it on the outside, they're questioning it on the inside. Sure. And the, the, um, the teachers reward the conformist behavior. Yeah. And there's so many paths in life that are, you know, my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. They wanted me to be going to, you know, whatever, banking. I mean, I, they yeah. really, I was not, I was not going the path that they wanted me to go. And I was constantly being steered back onto that path. And it's very hard to resist because there's so many rewards. There's so many things. And socially, from your parents to your friends to what you see in pop culture, all I mean, that like, stuff. it's funny yeah. because, like, going yeah. into startups and being an entrepreneur has kind of become the investment banking of this era. <laughs> I know, it's right? So it's so weird. Yeah. And so, and yet, it's not the original creative impulse that drove you to do the things that you want to do. And so, and so, the, the, um, you know, if you find yourself on that path, right? And I'm like, I was, I worked as an investment banker for like six months. I could not stand it. I could <laughs> not stand it. I was fulfilling someone else's dreams. Yeah. And um, I left. I mean, I left. And <clears throat> the other thing that I decided, and it was actually very worthwhile, um, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn back. That is the advice somebody gave me once. If you've gone down the wrong road and you know you're on the wrong road and you're like in your last year of law school and you're like, I really don't want to be a lawyer. There's a lot of sunk costs in there, but you gotta, you gotta take the true path. So <clears throat> I, um, I, you know, it's we so, all find ourselves that. We're like- fantastic advice. There's this concept of sunk costs. I'm like, oh, I'm only so, or I'm already so far down this path, I might as well become. And this, the theme of sort of quitting or self-reflection and finding out like what do I really want to do in this world is such a common theme in the people I feel like who are living their authentic self. Yes. Um, there's a writer by the name of Michael Mead. He was here at Creative Live. Uh, I just made a little video with him. Great guy, storyteller. He worked with everybody from the Dalai Lama to at-risk gangs. And this idea of your, of your calling and it never being too late, it's always going to be there, but the worst thing in life would be to not pay attention to that. So yes. you're you're you know you're down you're in your investment banking job or you're in your uh, third year of law school to take the point you just made. How do people reconcile? Like, what's what is? Well, the it's so hard because like as you know, I really think that people are the same throughout their lives. You're the same Chase Jarvis that you were when you were 16. You so have true. like the heart that you've got, yeah. the heart that you've got inside you is the same. Like, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Yeah. You got to listen to that. Who did you want to be when you grew up, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I think that you're the same person as you were when you were 16. But as you get older, you just take on more and more responsibility, right? Yeah. You have to have a job, you have to pay your rent, you have like all of these obligations, you got your family, you gotta take care of people. Yeah. And all of these things. The shoulds, that's what we the call them. The shoulds, right? But like, and many of them you're not gonna be able to turn. You gotta take care of your spouse and your children and your family and your sick mom and like all of these people that are like depending on you. 
So there's so much yes, that right. comes down on people and they've got a good solid job and it, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're making it all work. And it's so hard to listen to that, that inner voice. And so what you got to do is if you're in that, if you're in your third year of law school or you're like, you know, 51 years old and you're like, got teenage kids that you're putting through school, like whatever the thing is, you know, <clears throat> you got something yeah. on you, you need to make room for it. You need to just make that thing bigger and bigger inside you. What that is a key thing that also I hear over and over is what, that is different than the societal picture. And that is that you find room for both things. It's what I thought you were gonna say, which was I was gonna question was, so you just gotta stop doing all that stuff and then go do the thing. Can't do that. Cause like you've got like, it, there you know, life, who, yeah. there's living to do, yes. right? It, there's all of these things. And you can't just like bust out and be like, see yes. a wife and kids. Right. Like, I'm like, Addy, like that's, that's, so not, a, that's not something that you can do. So what you need to do is you need to like find that thing inside you and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. You start off, you take a class. You start off, you go to like a life drawing class, whatever your passion is. You know, you want to do photography, you want to, whatever the thing is. So you just, you just like make that part of your life bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, but you preserve that. I hear also it. people say, I don't have time. I have three kids, I have a job, I have, uh, you know, the kids all have homework and they all have X and Y. and. Is there a message that you can give to that person? Well, I had a teacher, you know, I had a writing teacher in school. I wanted to be a writer and I still want to be a writer. I haven't, I haven't lost Clearly, it. I'm glad, I, I love right. to hear that you're writing again. I'm going to go check the blog. Which is super good. Um, and um, he said, look, it's a page a day. You can do a page a day. You can be, it's like a half an hour or a page a day. And if you write a page a day, he said, you are one of the most prolific, you're like Stephen King. Like you are one of the most prolific writers around. He like cranks out a book like every year. A page a day, think about it, 365 pages. That's a book. That's a book. So um, half an hour, you gotta squeeze it in, you know, and you do it every day. Like I, I just discovered that my, my um, Google inbox actually has this little thing where you can like do your goals. And, I, and that's when I started writing again. I put this little goal in my calendar and it would just like fit it into my calendar somewhere half an hour wow. somewhere and it would just like fit it in like oh you have a half an hour between this meeting and that meeting boom you're gonna like do your writing so it's really you just have to just have to make it and it doesn't have to be that big of a commitment that's it's, and and I like the idea of starting small because it, it usurps this big um, the big roadblock for so many people like oh my gosh how how am I going to become a writer when I've mm. got clearly I've got all these responsibilities and that you know, 15, 20 minutes, a page, 100 words. I have, through the course of living my life, ended up in large part being a career counselor because I, one of those, mm -hmm. I, I got one of the lucky few who latches onto their passion and yep. pull on that thread. And I can hear in someone's voice if, that there, if there's a story going on of their dreams are possible or they're not possible. Yeah. And the, like, the story is, it's very clear, and ultimately, those people who, for whom the story is not, or for whom the story says it's not possible, because I have all these other responsibilities, I, I, I've never, I've personally never sat down and talked to them face to face and changed their mind. They always have to go away and realize, and actually either want it bad enough, or the pain of the thing that they're doing, relative to the thing that they're they were called to do, is bad enough that they will ultimately find their way either back to me or, more importantly, 
to that true calling where they believe they don't have to become the chairwoman of Etsy or you know or, or own a design shop in New York but they come back and they say I'm willing to stop telling myself the story that it's not possible and start telling my story myself the story that I can write a page a day yeah and it's when they do that that first step that's the zero to one whether they're an accountant or whether they're they're doing something they weren't that they don't love and they start writing a page a day and it's, it, that, it's, that's the seed that can turn into something bigger. There's this other blog post that I recently wrote on the creative hours which was about something that I heard in a lecture from Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson is a, is a writer, he won the National Book Award, he's written all these famous books. Um, Jesus' Son, which was made into a movie, was based on his books. I mean there's so many like wonderful books that he's written. He's a very crazy interesting, dark writer. Um, but the thing that he said, he was being interviewed on stage by Dave Eggers, and this is in 2003, and I remember this really vividly. He got the, asked the inevitable question, what is your advice for young writers? And you know what he said? It was so weird. He said, move somewhere cheap. I was like, that, really? Like, <laughs> all, like you know, like, you know, everybody in the audience is sitting there, and they've moved from, like, way, in, way out of nowhere, Iowa, yeah. To York, San Francisco, San Francisco into right. New York, into Los Angeles, to all of these very expensive places in order to be around the creative community and the creative people that they wanted to be around because they were always that, like, kind of the artsy kid in the basement, like yeah. me. And so this was shocking to us. And we we're like, how can that possibly be true? Because here we are. And he said, look, like, if you live in these expensive places, you're going to be spending all your time. You're going to be spending all your time, like, just making your rent. So go somewhere. You're going to have to, like, cultivate a, yeah. a a creative community and have people that are like you and talk to you and like have the same sentiments that you do and find them and connect to them very very deeply um, but live somewhere that where your rent is low because it's going to take decades and you may never you know publish your great American novel so if you're if that's the sole thing that you want to do in your life you need to cut your expenses and move to Idaho is where he lives <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that too it's like you know yeah and taking either figure to the figuratively or literally, I think th that in either case, it's a step towards making that thing that you've told yourself is not possible, toward making it possible. Yeah. Just one step, and that's the thing that there's, I've seen it over and over, there's this cascading effect that happens when you realize that, oh my God, I can write 100 words a day or a page. Well, you know, I couldn't even do that, so you know what I did? What? I went to index cards. So <laughs> that's starting so like, small, right? right that's starting small. So like this, and I was like, index card. It's so unintimidating. It's like only that much paper. It's a blank page. I can write one <laughs> word like, and fill up the page. <laughs> right? It's like this small. I started with index cards. I started with an index card. Really good book called The Writer's Time. That's beautiful. Atchity. read that. It's good. The Writer's Time. Let's talk about some you personally here. So. Yep some personal habits, some have come out in our conversation, like writing every day, you're back blogging again. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you do every day? Do you carve out specific time? Do you have a morning routine that you really finds? That you, I mean, we all have routines, but are there things that you feel like that you have learned to do for yourself that may translate to the folks at home? Well, one thing that happened by accident when my daughter was born was that she liked to wake up at God knows, like 6, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. I am not a morning person. I am a <laughs> night owl. I have always been a night owl. And suddenly I had this little baby. There she was. She wanted her mommy. It was 6 a.m. 
I had to be there. There you go. So I started, I mean, it, it was driving me crazy because like, you know, all the new parents out there will tell you, it is sleep deprivation for months and maybe even years. And so um, I went into this weird sleep schedule. I went to sleep when she went to sleep, like at eight or nine at night. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd be awake from two until five. I would be awake in the middle of the night. Nothing was going on. No one's, up, no one's updating their social media. There's really like nobody's calling. Like it's, it was like this quiet, amazing time in the middle of the night. I saw all of this research that showed that this is how people used to sleep in a pre-industrial age. They used to sleep in two shifts. They used to call it two sleeps. The first sleep, the second sleep, fascinating. Wow. And I found that those hours in the middle of the night, um, you know, this may not work for everybody, but were incredibly it's creative because I was uninterrupted. And, you know, you can kind of artificially create this. I read another thing on the internet that I subscribed to for a really long time, which was check your email twice a day. Schedule it for 10 a.m. and then again at 4 p.m. And that's it. And pretty soon you'll like train all of your colleagues and the people that want you that those are the times that you're gonna be responding to email. And it's almost like cloning yourself. It's unbelievable it how productive yeah. you become if you just turn off all of those distractions. Like, I'm one of those people, you know, you know, was responsible for like all of the social media that's around you. Yeah. And yet I was very determined to like fit it into these, like I, I went through this period, it was like a internet diet where I would only go online for an hour a day. And I kept a little notebook in my pocket. You know how you're sitting there and you're talking to your friends and you're like, um, hey, what was the name of the Beatles' third album, right? And yes. what happens? You, you like yep. grab yeah. your phone, like these irrelevant things, right? And so what I would do is I would keep a little notebook in my pocket for when I was next online, and then I would write down when, what was the Beatles' third, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I would like write it down, and then when I got online, I would go bing, 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 bing. When so was this? I, was this diet like 20 years ago? Or I this, did this. <laughs> or is this recent? I, I did this. Oh, I, I do it periodically yeah. and then I fall out of, yeah, of you know, I fall out of practice and so I have to kind of reel it back up again. But that was... It was a great practice. I mean, it was kind of an amazing thing. So, so, and it was like, it was literally like being twins. Like I had like so much time compared to everybody else who was like sitting there like, what, like, you yeah, know. I see people with their email open all the time and just emails come in chat. and they respond. Like, yeah, don't, chat, like, don't, don't yeah. do chat, don't do like those emails. Like it'll make you crazy. Bundling like time to me is so critical. And as a creative person, I thought for years that anything that was a schedule was the man trying to keep me down. So I'm gonna live this unscheduled life. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as I started actually applying a little bit of schedule, yeah. just, a, I mean, not crazy rigor, but realize that if it doesn't, it's not on my calendar, it's not gonna happen because there's a lot of inbound requirements. And one of the things that's, that I started putting on my calendar was 90 minute blocks to do the things, the big things yeah. in life for me. Yep. Um, how's, what, what's your schedule look like these days? Cause I know you've got your hands in so many different things. Um, how do you find the time? Well, I mean, a lot of it is really regulating your energy is really the best thing to do. You know, you've got certain things you gotta do. I'm gonna, I, like, I feel like the energy to like, answer all those emails, you know, or I feel the energy to sit down and really do some thinky stuff. Like what's the five year plan? Yeah. Right. And so being sensitive to your own energy and what you like, what do I feel like doing right now? Like right now I'm kind of tired. 
why don't I read some articles that I've been meaning to read? Like a lean back thing. Yeah, or, I just yeah. need to like absorb and I'm not really thinking right now. I can't create anything right now. Like just take advantage of that time. Like yeah. have all of your things like, oh, I'm gonna, I've been meaning to read these articles. Maybe now's a good time. I'm not feeling like really energetic. And then other times you're like, I'm on fire. Like I'm gonna make the plan. I'm all ready to yeah, do yeah, it, yeah. you know, like that. So, you know, regulate your energy that way. Um, you know, and block off, that's a great thing yeah. that you do. Like block. I do that too, like block off huge parts of your calendar. Because if you don't make that time, no. no one's gonna make it for you. And if you don't write your own script of what you want in life, someone else will certainly write it. Right, that and like you. then look at all of the things, um, you know, this really great video um, that's online by Zay Frank, which is, I don't know if you have ever seen it, but he basically takes all of the days of your life and puts them in jelly beans. He's like, this is how many days you've got got this many days and you know this is your first year and this is how much time you're gonna spend sleeping and eating and grooming and hygiene and da 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 and then he puts this like little bunch of jelly beans and he's like these are your free hours what are you gonna do with them you know you've got these jelly beans so figure out what are those things like a friend of mine sent me this video and she said um, you know her 16 year old son just completely like watched that video and completely stopped watching video like playing video games he saw that video, he's like, oh my God, I've got only these jelly beans. This is all I've got left. I'm wasting, I'm like giving my jelly beans away. I'm giving it to, you know, Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this I is like. It. Mark Cuban, uh, who's a part, he'd been on the show, part of the series, was like, follow your effort. What is it that you are motivated to spend time on? And when you realize that time is limited and you start looking at what, you know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk also, how, how is it possible that you're, selling, you're saying you can't start this business or you can't create a side hustle or whatever when you're, you watch three hours of Netflix a day? Like there's this, an, an intrinsic deal when you're looking at A, having so much time, on, only, only having so much time on your planet. If you, look, if you look back and catalog your time over the course of a week or two weeks and you're really honest with yourself about how do you spend time, yeah. it's just a surprising amount of it gets chucked. I also am not a TV person. I basically watch Silicon Valley, which is 30 minutes a, a, a <laughs> I week. Even seen because that. I, yeah, I, I, and everybody tells me about it. It's hilarious. It's yeah. so great. Um, and uh, and House of Cards when that's happening. But those are really the only two shows. And I can't remember ever watch, watching a show. And I, I did that very instinctively because I was like, that's so much time, so much time to burn your dreams in front of the screen. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. And it's a little, it was a little bit, like it was awakening when I started um, in college, spending my time around a lot of other people, I had roommates and watching that was a very, it was a, a, an awakening for me like, oh God, I got it. I only got so many jelly beans. You only got so many jelly beans. It's so true. So what's on your jelly bean, like what are you spending your jelly beans on right now? What's so I have, I have another startup. I am doing Findery. I am about to um, launch a new company, mm. which we can't announce yet, Damn. but very soon. Okay. Um, uh, it's going to be around all of the same things that I love. You know, you know, it's kind of, of course. discovery, <laughs> the, internet creativity, the, the, the internet creativity, yeah. self-expression, people, storytelling. You know, that's kind of my that's kind of my sweet spot, and those are the things that I really care about. And you know, when I left that you know, really high paying job. I gotta tell you how I got that 
investment banking job, I was writing a novel and I decided that the best way to do that was to be a receptionist. And so I was a receptionist at this investment bank. Oh, and, and you know, because I could sit Hacking there for like the eight hours a day, right? Because yeah. like, I don't know, I had to like let people in every now and then and call. You're on your keyboard, like, no one knows what you're writing. <laughs> so um, I was writing a novel, I'm like sitting there behind the reception desk. and. The managing director of the of the bank is like, "Hey, you're really sharp. You know, you could be an investment banker too." And of course, I'm making like nine dollars an hour. So, I'm like, I, I'm like, I am an artist. You know, this is not. I don't want to be an investment banker. It's never been in the cards for me. My parents would love it, but and um, and he said, "Yeah, but I'm going to pay you a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year." And I was like, my jaw like fell on the ground. I was like. What? I'm like making, I don't know, I was like, I don't know how much I was making, like what, 15? Like what's $9 an hour? And <laughs> I, was making like 20, I was living in New York, I was like $20,000 a year or something. And so I was like, I'll take that job. So I went and got myself like some fancy shoes and I got myself a suit and I was like, so, like going, I hated myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> Overnight investment banker? Did that, right. that turn into self-loathing? Self-loathing, and then like I'm walking down the street, and like all the people, in, like they, like like people on Wall Street, like they care about money. Yeah, they, they care about money so much, and I was like, this is not what I care about. This is not what I care about. So let's talk about that for a second. What's another to reference Michael Mead? He talks about the you have your true calling in life, this thing that you light up when you do, and that takes different paths. But there is always something that if you were aligned with your true authentic self that you could be doing right now that would just be it would you know be full of self-expression and all these things yeah and yet we have so many negative cues we talked about it earlier as a parent mm -hmm. and so many people who are listening are parents and yeah like you know it was a question that someone asked michael yesterday it's like i'm a parent what do i do because i want my kids to turn out well and i want to be supportive at the same time but you know, there are terms in our culture like starving artist, like uh, deadbeat, like all these things that, mm -hmm. that are cultural uh, constraints. You're a parent. Yep. Sitting right over there. Yep. How do you think about this, like encouraging your kids to be and do the things that they were supposed to do? Well, you don't want them to be destitute. You don't want anybody to be destitute. And like, you may have may to have a day, love, you yeah. may have to have your day job. Like, yeah. your day job may be what keeps you afloat. But, you know, you have to feed your spirit too. So, you know, you, you know, you're not, you don't want to have like starving artists. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be somebody destitute. You don't want to be poor and miserable. And there's so much romance about that. Yeah. But, um, you know, about the, the struggles and the miseries of the artists. But, um, you know, we are a very rich country. I mean, it is really, I mean, when, when you look at all of the things that people need, yeah. it's not really, those things are not really needs. Yeah. You know, like, um, um, cars and clothes and fancy cars and clothes and families. Like if you have a hand-me-down phone that lasts for you, lasts you for five years, like, awesome yeah. you know like like relative to the rest of the relative to the rest of yeah, when you, you start, start like kind of like really like, looking at it yeah it's really you know it's however true. you don't want you don't want destitution so you know i think that it's important for kids to know um you know how to earn a living i mean it's like really important to raise kids yeah. to know how to earn a living and how to you know be responsible and show up for work on time and be responsible to others and all of those things are incredibly important. But you're clearly um, taking an alternative path with yes, your Yes, yes. I mean, we're, so um, we are um, homeschooling and um, my daughter's been homeschooled since she was pretty much born. Um, I have 
as you can see, I'm like a big believer in learning, teaching yourself, yes. like autodidacticism and that, like taking it like, you know, as far as it can go. I am a true believer in that and really um, believe that your, um, you know, your passions and your curiosity will drive you through life. And that, you know, in this day and age, there's so many things. There's creative live and online learning has just blossomed. Yeah, Homeschooling is growing at an extreme rate. Yeah. There are so many ways of connecting with other people and, you know, classes that are out there. I'm an investor in a company called OutSchool, which has offers, um, which offers classes. I mean, there's really so many homeschooling resources and things that are out there right now that anything you want to learn, you can. I got in a a, an online discussion. Uh, actually, it started in Snapchat, and then I moved it out into some of my other platforms. Just that it's the first time in the history of the world where doing the traditional thing is probably actually more risky than following your passion. Yeah. And I see so yeah. many people signed up to do the things that other people want them to do, and what that leads to is not taking care of your body, not taking care of your mind, sort of misery and then misery loves company and so you end up being if you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and you're in a job that you don't love around people that take energy from you instead of give you energy like what's the price of that if that's the traditional path and there are so many alternatives ones like you just named um, homeschooling and the fact that you can ultimately if you have access to the internet teach yourself something or you can go do these internships even as a 51 year old yes. you might be able to go and um, volunteer your time at something that that makes you come alive to do anything but that seems so risky to me am yeah, I, am I crazy? because there's very little job security these days and you know things change so rapidly and industries like kind of come and go I mean it's really it is a very unstable world I mean it's just sort of the nature of um, you know, our world, our, you know, the current way that people work. And, you know, in a medieval era, you know, you were born a peasant, you would die a peasant, everybody would, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was like the seasons would pass, everybody did the same things that everybody had been doing for like 10 generations. And now it's just, there's change is, change is basically part of, you know, it's the only thing that's, it's the only thing that's going. Yeah, yeah, it's the only thing that's consistent is, is perpetual change and you have to be able to adapt and, um, you know, go with the flow and things are going to be different and pretty soon we're not going to have cars anymore. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, That's, it's a kind yeah. of an amazing, I mean, I really think that actually yeah. cars are kind of going, the, you know, it will be all self-driving and, you going know, away the dodo. going away. So let's, we talked a little bit about you, um, your background, a lot of that, the, some of your personal habits. Uh, I would like just maybe a little bit of a speed round. So if you could tell me something about yourself that if other people knew they would be surprised. So what about you is a little bit of a secret that people would say, no way, I can't believe that. So, be My daughter can probably say something to this effect. Because <laughs> so much has been written about you, you have written prolifically, but there are a few things I'm sure that, um, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's been on here, talked about being really adverse to conflict, yet he's so loud and boisterous. He's always on stage calling people out and everything, but instead of one-on-one -on -one conflict, I'm really, um, I'm really uncomfortable. Anything like that for you? Oh, interesting. Um, I think I'm actually one of the most 
reclusive extroverts that you've ever met. So I'm a very extroverted person. Yes. I love to get up on a stage in front of a thousand people, give a talk. I like that. I really do. I like to give give a talk, like being here. Yeah, being and on TV. Being on TV. And, um, and yet, I'm such a homebody. I like to stay at home. I like to, you know, keep my slippers on. I like to like stay in my bathrobe until noon. I like to stay <laughs> at home. And my, <laughs> and that, that, you know, yeah, and so my, and my, you know, my friend said, you know, I always, she, she says, she said, my goal in life was always to be like, uh, you know, a very fulfilled and happy and productive person who was able to be in her pajamas all day. <laughs> I was like, that's a good thing to inspire. Take that, yeah, I'll ring that bell. <laughs> so, you know, that I, you know, I kind of, I kind of uh, relate to that because and I honestly think that online sociality is really suited for kind of reclusive extroverts like me. There's also these incredibly gregarious introverts too who are like always out and like yeah. always going to events and all these kinds of things. Yeah, I think there's a misunderstanding about the term introvert and extrovert. That's re it's really where you get your energy from. Like do yeah. you get energy from being external or do you get energy from being internal? So yeah. that's where you can be an internal or a, uh, an internal extrovert or an external introvert. An introvert and so on. That's yeah. a really, I would not have pegged that. Yeah, I'm a homebody. I like my slippers. <laughs> um, you've probably heard the question, like what would you tell your 20 year old self? I don't wanna really go there. I wanna know, what did you learn yesterday? Something that you learned yesterday. Yesterday. As proof point that we're always there. Oh my goodness, you know what I started doing yesterday, which was kind of an amazing thing, was I started, I mean, when, you're, when I say that I started blogging again, I literally mean day before yesterday, right? Wow. <laughs> so, and are you gonna write every day? Is that the... So I've been trying, so what I, I had this sudden burst of, this happens to you sometimes, you're like, oh, I can, I can write 10 blog posts today, right? So I kind of felt like that. I was like, I'm gonna write 10, so I, so I didn't write 10, but I wrote like four. And I queued them all up and I put them on, like I scheduled them to be like blogging. And um, I had forgotten about that. I had forgotten about these bursty kinds of bits of creativity. Cause I'd been like, you know, plodding along, doing, doing creative stuff, but like every day, a little bit, a little bit. And then you have these like wonderful explosions of super creative periods in your life. And I had forgotten about that. So I like, you know, this was kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, wait, I can do this blogging thing. No problem. If I just do it in these bursty ways, I can do it. Because like, it's hard to like, For every sure. day, like, yeah, I'm not inspired today. You know, I have writer's block. I'm not thinking about it. And there's nothing interesting going on. But if you write it all at once, you know, these during these like massive explosions of creativity, um, you can get a lot done. And it's see like, and if you like space it out, <laughs> it seems like, wow. This person is super productive. She's blogging every day. Every day she's <laughs> blogging once a week and they wrote seven posts. Right. So that was, you know, that was kind of a revelation to me. Because uh -huh. I, I, you know, when, you're, when your life is like, you know, your life kind of falls into these routines. Uh -huh. it, it does. Like you just can't help it. I, I think it's kind of as natural. You fall into these routines and habits and, you know, da, 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 da. And then something jolts you out of it. It's like, hallelujah. It's amazing. <laughs> Where do you, yeah. speak into that, that sounds like inspiration. Where do you take inspiration? You take inspiration, is it from people or nature or technology or your internal voice or what are, what are some of your core inspirations? I'm a so I'm a big reader. I've always been a big reader. So I read everything. I've got a house full of books, like 10 books arrive on my doorstep. Like, I mean, you know, it's really funny because I like, I was trying to plan for like how many bookshelves I need. <laughs> 
on. So I like realized like, I read like this many books a year, right? Like I don't know how many that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Thirty-six inches worth of books. I like I like read. You know, like I need this much stuff. Like I'm also one of those people who has a hard time like getting rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, why that like, one means so much to me. I love. I that read book. that. I'm gonna read that book again. So. Um, any, so I read you, like I read so much. That's a, that's a really and I have just read two enough. incredibly inspiring and moving and beautiful books, one of which is by the 2015 Nobel laureate who I picked up, Svetlana um, Alexeyevich, who wrote a book called Chernobyl Prayer. Amazing, amazing okay. stories. It's just full of these like just uh, amazing stories from what happened, not the official story not even the people who are like actually participating in the cleanup of Chernobyl, but everybody who was affected. I mean, amazing wow. stories, amazing stories. Okay, that's one. That's one. I also um, read a book by Carmen Laferre, who is a 23-year-old writer writing in like the 40s in Spain. She wrote a book called Nada, which is amazing, crazy, odd, interesting Gothic novel um, about her time there. And um, wait, what was the other one? Oh, Hungarian novel called The Door by Magda, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Hungarian name, Szabo, C-S-Z-A-B-O. Really amazing book, highly wow. recommended. So that's just in the past week. I'm like a, you know. Wow, while well, you're on a roll here, anything else that you want to drop? Any other things that people should be reading? Be like, reading, yeah. well, my favorite, we want to go through like yeah, all my just favorite, a couple, right? Yeah, a couple, yeah, it's good. Um, I'm a huge lover of W.G. Sebald, who is a German writer who tragically died young. He was just being translated into English and you know becoming better known here mm -hmm. when he died in a bicycle accident. Um, wonderful writer. It's a kind of like travelogues and you know all of that. Um, I'm um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Vladimir Nabokov. I've read everything that he's written. Um, I was actually a Shakespeare. I was I studied Shakespeare and I was a I was yeah. a lit nerd. Like I was a literature geek. I, that's what I that's where I kind of came from. And um, I read prolifically. I read <laughs> I read you know. Um, you know, a lot of novels, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, I've been reading a lot of psychology lately. I've been very interested in James Hillman, who was a follower of Carl Jung. Mm. And his work is incredibly good for people seeking their vocation. It is really fascinating because our psychology. Say his name again? James Hillman. Okay. And there's like, a. People seeking their vocation is. Again, I'm, I'm referenced Michael Mead three times now. Vocation <laughs> is your calling. It's like that's, that's what vocal, literally what it means. Yeah, vocation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so and people so, are going to want to know about this. Tell me. And more. what he talks about it's like very similar to how you're describing it. Is like the thing inside you. He says that all of this psychology these days makes you feel as if like your childhood is what caused you, right? Um, and he kind of flips that, like, you know, you had this kind of childhood and this is, these are the things that naturally kind of flowed out from like your experiences with your parents were a certain way, or you lived in this kind of community growing up or whatever, like, and that like kind of determined your path in life. Um, but what he says is actually that you call it to you. You were born and he calls it like an acorn. You're born with like this, you're like this acorn and you've got this potential that you've got inside you and that the um, the the people 
in your life um, were called to you because of the acorn that you had. You called those people into your life. You found this set of circumstances in mm -hmm. order to become this thing that you were meant to become. And so it's a kind of like a, it flips it backwards yeah. and it gives you much more agency and it gives you much more possibility than saying like, oh, you know, my dad was like really tough on me and you know, like all that story, that narrative that you can kind of like make about your life. Instead, you kind of reframe it and you think about it like, what was my father here to teach me? Like, what is it that my acorn was asking for? You know, he, he's the guy who wrote a book called, um, I don't remember what it's called now. It was about the soul. He, he talks about the soul, which mm. nobody talks about anymore. He said, it, said, the soul has gone out of psychology. It's kind of fascinating, actually. It really has. You know, it's become like very much about, you know, data and- Science and DNA. Science and like, oh, yeah. yeah and it's, and it's, <clears throat> it's a very rigid way of thinking. Whereas, you know, truly the flourishing of the soul is what we're seeking in our lives. And so that's what his books are about. Mm. And, you I'm know, I think a, a, a good intro to his work is um, a book called The Blue Fire or A Blue Fire, um, which is a compilation of a lot of his writing. Sweet. Yeah. It's kind of rough going. It's like super academic. Um, it's hard to read. It's slow going, but it's brilliant and inspiring. I love things where they're so dense you can read a page or two and then have plenty exactly. of Exactly. Yeah, it's it's plenty a, of time. I read think. it over last summer, like the book, and it's you know, I read like a couple pages and they're like, wow, wow. I'm gonna have to think about that. I'll take a few days and I'll think about that and then I'll go back to it. Really it's like that. Oh. It's really it's a it's a great way of thinking. I think people I'm fascinated by where people take their inspiration from and reading and the work of other people is like reference like use use guides like Heller Hillman Hillman <laughs> use reference yeah. like Hillman and or and think of it in terms of how Austin Kleon talks about it steal like an artist if you follow one person that's stealing if you follow everybody that's research like you know, <laughs> and, and that's you know largely what these talks are supposed to be they're supposed to be sort of little seeds of inspiration so you can not, the answer is not out there as many people think everybody has a very idiosyncratic path I'm sure you know you know maybe somebody in the other 30 people that you're interviewing of are interested <laughs> in James Hillman yeah. or not. You know, yeah. it's just, it's a very idiosyncratic path and there's things that, you know, if Ramon's lyrics are where you get your inspiration, then Ramon's lyrics will be what it is. So it's not, you know, there's yeah. no formula and you tend to be like, I like that thing. Give me more of that. And people, why is it so hard to listen to that voice? Because everyone has that voice. And we've spent, you know, we've talked about it a couple times already in this talk. There are so many things, whether they're parents who are thinking about what they wanted to be and mapping that onto you and telling you to be an investment banker, or where there are teachers who say that they give lip service to creativity and they really want you to just be the next science teacher, or like there's so many competing voices. How, how do you pay attention to that inner voice? Because it's all about, you know, um, you know, success. That is what it is. It's the drive to success that is killing people and is killing people's souls. And the, um, the way to be successful, people know that if you follow this path and you do these things and you follow this formula and you go to Stanford and, you know, there's, there's these very clear paths to success. And um, 
You know, I remember like reading a psychologist, like a, the comment of a psychologist who worked in Palo Alto, where like you're, it's just the city full of the most successful people in the world in technology. It's amazing. Um, he said, so little success, so little happiness. And it's that drive to be successful and- That actually leads you astray. That actually leads you astray. You want to be successful. You want to be a successful entrepreneur. You want to be a successful artist. You want to be a success. And that is the thing that leads you astray. It's crazy. By flipping that, what is the thing then that does lead to success? What is the, what is the polar opposite of chasing success? Well, because success you can't, like, you know, you know, stop chasing prizes um, that you don't want, you know? Like, those prizes are out there. There's prizes, 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 prizes everywhere you look. There's prizes. You can see the prize. You can know how to get to the prize. And what should you be chasing instead? You have to, you have to be chasing this, um, this sense of what truly makes you happy. And you know what it is, and it's usually not money and success. And there's so much of our culture is wrapped around how to be successful. I mean, it's really, it's really astonishing. And, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing. I mean, I am a, you know, I, it was really funny. I went into, I was doing an interview with Nick Bilton, who is a reporter New Times, yeah. for New York Times. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like going in, they had a brand new skyscraper in Times Square, a beautiful building. And I'm sitting there being interviewed by Nick Bilton of the New York Times. And I'm saying like, you know, I had this like just weird um, vertigo. I said, how, like, I don't even really understand why I'm sitting here talking to you. Like how, did, how, it, how it is that I, that, I, that, I, that I got here. And I think that the thing that was very clear to me when I was sitting, I remember when I was, I remember very vividly this, this moment. I remember sitting and thinking that if I was just sitting alone in my room doing what I was doing without any of that, the, the external like kind of accolades, coming at me, um, I would still be happy. I would still be happy. What is that thing? And all of this stuff is accidental and it's honestly not, you know, I, I you know, whatever, Flickr was a huge success and I like flew to Davos and I like sat around with like heads of state and like did all these kind of fancy things and I was like flying around on the Google jet and like all this stuff, right? And um, which is cool and you can do it for like a certain amount of time but I remember having this conversation with my friend and I was supposed to go have dinner with um, Rupert Murdoch and his wife and um, some other famous people and, and um, I didn't want to go. And my friend said, no, 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 but Rupert Murdoch can help you with your business. I was like, no, he can't. I really need like a really good graphic designer. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> he doesn't know a single one of them. I'd rather be hanging out in basements with like 20 year old graphic designers in Brooklyn than going to this like yeah. skyscraper. I don't like, it's uh, like really those things don't matter. And like, you know, I've been fortunate enough. I mean, I've been very lucky. Like very few people get the sure. chance to like turn down invitations from Rupert. Yes. But like, it's, it's, it's like, it's so true. Having like those done things, those things. Having done it. Yeah. Like you come out the other end and you're like, well, that was very fancy. I, I think it was <laughs> Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss you know? told me a story about Lionel Richie and Lionel Richie in like his peak of the 80s, just one, winning everything, climbing the mountain is a story that he talks about. And then when he got to the top of the mountain, there was no one there. 
Exactly. And that it really isn't that destination, it's that journey, who are you spending your time with, what are the moments where you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, that pursuing your passion is passion, obviously, music, and it was that path that was the reward, the success, this, the thing that you, you can stick a flag in on top of a mountain mm -hmm. is lonely and not the thing. Yeah, I so. mean, being surrounded by people that you love, and you know, caring for them and loving and being loved, those are like the most important things and everybody knows that. From being in your basement to uh, all those different school paths, in and out of school, art school, not art school, uh, investment banking, Vassar, uh, starting a little internet site, becoming wealthy, um, chairman, chairwoman rather of Etsy and full circle here to the time 100 most in, in influential people on the planet. Yeah. All by just doing the things that felt good to you when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a better way to end an interview. We went a little bit longer than I had told you we would, but I want to say thank you so much for taking your time. Um, any advice or anything you want to leave us with? No, no pressure. I <laughs> <laughs> never. Well, I mean, I think it's a it's something that you have to do every day and just start where you are with what you've got and the time you have. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.